chapter 40. I'm going to read from the 21st to the 31st verses. Let's begin right at the 21st verse. Here's the way that Isaiah reads. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth like emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth. When he blows on them and they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me, that I should be like him, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might. And because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint nor grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall down exhausted. But they that wait upon the Lord, they will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask your blessing upon the reading of the word this day and the message this hour. Help us as we look to Isaiah chapter 40 to learn more of you and more of ourselves. Help us ultimately, Lord, to have the relationship, the daily, day-in, day-out relationship with Christ Jesus that we need. These things we ask in his name. Amen. I have titled the sermon, not that the title really fits, but I have titled it today, He'll Do It Again and Again and Again and Again. Some of you saw me playing with Bo the Wonder Dog this morning. Bo has brought great joy to my life, and I know you're tired of hearing about my dog, but he's, he's just the best friend I've had in a long time. He just has a few bad habits, and one in particular has me vexed. He's done this since he was just a little pup. He's only 18, 17 months old. But his problem is he tears up his beds. I've gotten him at least, well, you don't want to know how many I've gotten him. I I would hate to confess to you how many I've bought. But the dog beds, the minute you turn your back, he will chew them up and lay them out everywhere. I have walked in uh, to find rooms literally covered with the stuffing from these dog beds. And allow me to tell you that a little 3x5 dog bed, dog, dog bed holds enough stuffing uh, to fill the Grand Canyon. It's incredible what can come out of those things once they're unstuffed. So there's quite a mess. I had had enough with this bad habit of bows, so much so that I did some research to find the True Proof Invincible Dog Bed made by Kong. I went to Pets. That's right, Kong. I mean, anything with the name Kong ought to be trusted, right? 
I went to PetSmart and I picked up the dream bed for dog chewers. He would not be able to handle this this bed the way he had handled others. It was indestructible, non-chewable, and I would have no more messes to clean up and no more beds to buy. I laid it on the floor and I introduced Bo to his new bed. And I left the room. And about 10 minutes later, I heard a noise. I was on the phone. And I thought, well, he can't be chewing the bed because it's the indestructible, non-chewable bed. But when I got off the phone, I went and looked. And you guessed it, sure enough, he was chewing up the bed. I caught him in time to salvage the bed. But it is not what it looked like before we got started. Thankfully, so far, the stuffing has remained intact. Well, I belong on Facebook, social media, to a group, and it's called Aussie Doodles, Golden Doodles, All Doodles Welcome, A Place to Share. And the reason I belong to that is because all these people that have these dogs will post their pictures of their dogs, and that way I don't have to read all the political posts that I don't want to read. I can look at fluffy little dogs. So anyway, I went to the, the page, Aussie Doodles, Golden Doodles, All Doodles, a place to share, and I posed a question. Here is my question. My one and one half year old Golden Doodle chews up every bed I buy for him. Will this end? Can I help it end? Do you have any suggestions? I turned off my phone and immediately I got a notification that someone had answered my question. I went to Facebook to see how to solve my dilemma. Surely somebody would have the wisdom and more knowledge than I had to fix this problem. And they had wisdom to impart. I couldn't wait to read and see what it said. And I found the answer immediately to my question. My one and a half year old golden doodle chews up every bed I buy for him. Will this end? Can I help it end? And do you have any suggestions? And here was my answer, and it's so simple, you won't believe it. Whoever she was responded and said, yes, it will end as soon as you stop buying beds. <laughs> well, believe it or not, that's got something to do with the scripture we're in this morning. Listen, if you would, again, to what I read to you. We're going to go verse at a time, as I always do. Don't you know? Don't you hear? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the foundation of the earth? Now just a little background, church. Israel is in Babylonian captivity. They're being responded to in this passage of scripture by God. God is answering questions that the they have either asked or will shortly ask, and he is responding to them through the prophet Isaiah in this text. I'll save you the research as to what those questions were. Basically, they went like this. How much longer is this going to last? Decades have passed. Are you going to get us back home? Are we going to die here? Can we count on you ever again? Will you be God for us or should we give up? And God, being the God that he is like a good parent, responds to them 
reminding them of what he's done in the past. Israel is being gently chided in this passage to remember that God has been God across time and he has not changed. In the 22nd verse, it reads this way. It is he, speaking of himself, it is he who sits above the circle of the earth. And its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. That phrase, the circle of the earth, has to do with how they viewed the world at their time. There was this understanding of God's creation. There was the atmosphere or the water above, the, the, the world in which we live, the land below our feet, and the oceans and the water beneath. The ancient Israelites divided uh, God's creation, heaven, earth, sea, uh, the Netherlands, into those uh, areas. And when God speaks, he is saying to them in this passage, he who sits above the circle of the earth, he is the one who holds that together. He is the one that he knows everything that's happening there. He is in control of what is happening. And in the 23rd verse, it continues, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Church, what that verse means is that there is no person, no matter how great or small they are, that are, with, that are without the limitations that God may place upon them. Scarcely, the 24th verse, scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. Church, God is speaking and saying the world empires and governments of the, of the earth only exist because God allows them to, hit, to exist. And then he says this in the 25th verse. To whom then will you compare me, that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Now, I'll give you a little background. In the chapter ahead of this one, they were comparing God to, to gods that were made of metal, silver, gold. They were, they were comparing God with gods that were carved out of wood. And now they have begun to compare God with the deities of the planets, if you would, or of the solar system. And God is, they are asking the question, he is asking back to them, who in those gods will you compare me with? He's asking, what star am I like? What celestial being, the sun, the moon, Neptune, Pluto, other planets, what would you compare me with? And the, the things that, that God wants to say is this, the very things that you worship are items of my creation that I have placed there in the sky. Because listen to what he says in the 26th verse. Lift up your eyes on high and see. Who created these? He who brings out their host by number. He calls them by name. By the greatness of his might and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. God is saying, I know this universe. I know the solar system. I know all that exists. Every single dot in the sky I place there. And I hold them in place. And I'm aware of where they are, what they are. And I've even given them names. The book of Colossians, you've heard me many times mention Colossians 1. Paul writes and he, he says a wonderful hymn about God's creation and about Jesus 
But the 17th verse says this, He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. It, it has to do with the fact that Christ Jesus, as well as God the Father, were there in the creation, and all that you see, he has created. So who would you compare him to? Who would you try to say God is like in all that you see in the night sky? And then in the 27th verse, Isaiah writes, why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. I just want to take a stop and say to you this. Why does the writer Isaiah use both the terms Jacob and Israel in this passage? There's a reason. And the reason is this. Of course you know that, that Jacob uh, was part of that lineage he was the Abraham Isaac Jacob but more importantly you will recall we spoke about this a few weeks ago Jacob was run off if you would chased off by his brother who he had betrayed and he went to live in the land of Mesopotamia and at a certain point God spoke and said to Jacob okay you've been away long enough it's time to go back home You'll find that in the book of Genesis 31. He speaks and, and God speaks to Jacob and says, Go out from this land and return to the land of your kindred. And, and Jacob does that. He goes back home, you'll recall. Well, that's the very thing that's happening with Israel in this passage. They are in Babylonia, in Mesopotamia, and they have been there. Ultimately, they will have been there for 70 years. Their foolishness, their sinfulness, their failure to listen to God, much like Jacob got them into this mess and God is hinting in this verse because they've asked the question how long Lord how long do we have to wait when will you set us free and he's hinting at them the day is coming when I'm going to send you back home oh Jacob oh Israel why do you say my way is hidden from the Lord you see they were feeling that maybe God had forgotten them 28th to the 30th verse. I'm going to lump them together real quick. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint nor grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. His power, he gives power to the faint and to him who has no might, he increases their strength. Even youth will fall faint and be weary, and young men will be exhausted. Church, God has just answered their question. How long? When will you get us out of this mess? God says the day is coming. The time will come when I will set you free and you will go back to the promised land. The time is coming, but understand that as you do that, if you go too soon, if you go without my command, if you head out on that journey without me by your side, it's going to be a rough ride. And that is why, and, and the next verse you've all heard before, you've said it before, it's hung on your walls. It, Isaiah 40, 31 is very popular, but I want you to hear it in light of what we've said today. Look at what it says. But they that wait upon the Lord, Hear me, church. 
Don't get your cart ahead of your horse. They that wait upon the Lord, they that are willing to hear when I speak, listen to what they will have. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and they will not be weary. They shall walk and they shall not faint. Now there's a a first point I want you to see and then the three sub-points in this verse that I've been driving this car to all morning. They that wait upon the Lord. They that wait upon the Lord. They will renew their strength. And the way they'll do that, listen, God explains it. They'll fly like eagles. They'll run and not get tired. They will walk and they will not faint. Now we could walk away this morning and say, well, okay, we got it, Joel, that's it. But please get what I'm about to say. Please stay with me in this. Israel, when you need to fly, God will give you your wings. But how often are you actually going to need to fly? Israel, when you need to run, God will give you your legs. But Israel, how often will you actually need to run? Israel, when you walk, you will not wear out. Please get this, because this is so important, church. Listen close for the next couple of seconds. The majority of their trip back home would be walking. I mean the overwhelming, most significant amount of their time and their most normal means of transportation from Babylon back to the Promised Land would not be flying, it would not be running, it would be walking. If you go back and read in the book of Ezra, 150 years earlier, Ezra actually made the trip from Babylon back to the Promised Land. It was 900 miles. It took Ezra four months to make the trip. Church, I want you to imagine what would have been in this entourage that left Babylon at God's word and headed back to the promised land. There would have been old. There would have been young. There would have been teenagers. There would have been infants. There would have been sick people. There would have been people with physical challenges. There would have been all types of slow, fast, patient, impatient personalities involved. And they would not have needed to fly, though they might have wanted to. They would not have needed to run, though some might have wanted to. They would have been steadily, day in, day out, one foot in front of the other, walking on their way back to the promised land. And this entire passage, Isaiah 40, 21 to 31, was meant to remind Israel that with every day that they walked, every step that they took, every individual that died on the way, every individual that got sick on the journey, every mountain that challenged them, every enemy that might attack them, on every step of every single day, 
God would be with them. And the reason they could count on that was because for the past 70 years of captivity, he had been with them as well. And church, that brings me to my bottom line. And I may have complicated this bottom line a little bit more than I needed to, but I'll explain it in a moment. Our awareness of God and the significant betrays his presence in the mundane. Let me explain that to you. I like eating cookies. If I ever were going to choose the right woman for a person that likes eating cookies, I chose the right woman. Janice loves to make cookies, but that's another story. A friend of mine who's a pastor, his little girl, she, uh, she is a Girl Scout. And they posted online that they were selling Girl Scout cookies. And she looks so cute, you know, she just looks so cute. How could you not buy Girl Scout cookies from that little girl? So I bought more Girl Scout cookies than what I should have bought. They're not here yet. They'll get here tomorrow. They're shipping them to me. But I bought Girl Scout cookies to help my friend's little Girl Scout. Now you need to know that I've already informed my grandchildren, one of whom can't even eat a Girl Scout cookie yet, that the Girl Scout cookies are coming to them. But I'll let you on a hint, in on a little hint, I will eat those Samoas. But despite my love for cookies, I can't tell you the last time I made a batch of cookies. In fact, I think it's probably, possibly, before we even had children. I don't like to make cookies. I like to eat cookies. It's monotonous. You mix those things up, and then in one batch, you have to stand there and roll or cut 36, 48 of them, one at a time, place them on the pan, stick them in the oven, scoop them out, put them on the cooling rack. It is monotonous work. It is not something that I want to do. Some of you here today, I know, you make dozens and dozens and dozens of cookies at Christmas and give them away. I am evidence of that. But have you ever considered, and listen church, in the monotony of making your cookies, have you ever thought, gee, God may be here in the cookie making? Some of you yesterday did your laundry. You sorted your clothes. You put them in baskets. You carried them to the laundry room. You did them one load at a time. You poured in the detergent. You turned on the washer. You might have put in some fabric softener. You moved them to the dryer. You pulled them out of the dryer and cleaned the lint screen. And the process just went on and on and on. Monotonous. You hung them up, hopefully, or you folded them, hopefully. And you did your laundry. Have you ever wondered if God was with you there in the laundry? Have you ever asked yourself, is God there in the grocery shopping? Is God there in the social media? Is God there when I watch the Super Bowl? Is God there when I'm journaling? Is God there when I'm cooking? Is God there when I'm getting my tires rotated? Is God there when I'm on the golf course? I want to tell you something, church. He was there, but more than likely, 
You forgot about his presence. But listen close. Listen close. I will also bet that the last time somebody in your family became ill, you looked for God's presence. The last time there was a surgery in your life for someone you love, you looked for God's presence. You called the prayer chain. You prayed yourself. You asked other believers to pray. And there's a likelihood that whatever that event was in the midst of it, you would notice God's presence and you may have told others that you sensed God's presence and you knew that he was there. And that brings me to that bottom line. Our awareness of God and significant betrays his presence in the mundane. Let me translate that for you. We often take God for granted. We know that he will be there in the difficult times, the earthquakes, tornadoes, and funerals of life. God is there. We know he can be called upon and we know that he'll be with us. He said in his word he'd never leave us nor forsake us. But like a good soldier when we're in the heat of the battle and we have to jump into the trench, we cry out and we want to sense his presence so much that we can reach out and touch it. And in those times, often we mount up with wings like eagles, we soar. Not in our own strength or our skill, but in the grace that he extends to us. And he lavishes it on us. I mean, we sense the presence of the Holy Spirit in a way we've never sensed it before. We know he's right there next to us. And guess what? We wait upon the Lord, and he does renew our strength. We finished that battle in life and we're so thankful that God saw us through and it's appropriately appropriate that we both see that and acknowledge that to others and often we will. Other times we find we can't keep up. It's not the size of the issue we face, it's the sheer volume of the issues we face. They come at us rapid fire. We put up our shield. We attempt to defend ourselves and stay ahead of the things that are there, and we can't. And so we ask God to step in with us. And like the good father he is, he does. And we run to keep up, and amazingly, we do not get weary. Some unimaginable unknown strength, some influx of unexpected energy overfills us, and we run, and we do not grow weary. And again, he lavishes it on us, doesn't he? I mean, we sense that presence of the Holy Spirit again. We know he's with us. And guess what? We wait upon the Lord and he does renew our strength again. But church, most of the time, guess what? For most of us, our time is spent walking. Taking one step after the other. Day in and day out. Week in and week out. Month in and month out. Sometimes for years or decades on end. And it's so mundane and so ordinary and so incredibly repetitive that we forget to call upon God. And I think it's important to note that he's there anyway, whether we know it or not. It's like when we drive to the grocery store to pick up one or two things. We get our cart, we walk into the store, And then we forgot what we were there for. You ever do that? It is so easy to take for granted and to forget the presence of God 
We walk along, we go along, we forget that God's right there by our side. And we don't get tired because we've conditioned ourselves for this routine. We walk by day, we stop when necessary and eat. We rest for the night, and then we do it again tomorrow. And we fail to realize that God is there and the reason we're not weary isn't because of our great training regimen, but rather because his presence is right there with us. We walk, we do not grow weary, but we often forget why we don't grow weary. And he lavishes it upon us again, doesn't he? I mean, we sense the presence of that Holy Spirit. We know he's with us. And we wait upon the Lord and he renews our strength, whether we know he's doing it or not. But we take it for granted. We take God for granted. Our awareness of God and the significant betrays his presence in the mundane. Look for him, church. He's there right now. No matter how simple or complicated your life has become right now, he's right there. Life will not always have the crisis moments, but life will always have the routine. We will always have the walk. And God is able to make your routine a revival if you only look around and see him. His presence in the routine can come, become a revival when we focus upon the relationship. We begin to acknowledge his presence in the mundane, his significance in the simplistic. Church Israel spent 70 years in bondage. And they began to get uneasy and to say, Lord, how long? When will you get us out of here? Can we count on you? And God's answer was, you've made it through these 70 years because you could count on me. You made it through these 70 years because I was right there with you. And when the time comes, if you will wait upon me, I'll renew your strength. And when it's necessary for you to fly, you will mount up with wings like eagles. And when it's necessary for you to run, you will run and not go re grow weary. But when you are doing what you need to do, which is simply walk a day at a time, don't forget that I'm there in that as well. Church, Israel could have spent those 70 years focusing on the relationship with the God that was with them. And God had to remind them before he's turned them loose that he was there. You know, I'm so tired of being cooped up in a house. Not being able to do the things that I want to do. And I know many of you are as well. But I want to tell you that you can renew your relationship with the one that can be with you. You can take his presence in the routine. You can take his presence in the routine and you can make it a revival in your life take the time to spend with the one that's with you don't forget that he's right there by your side don't forget that Jesus when he died on the cross for us he said he'd never leave us nor forsake us he would send his Holy Spirit to be with us forever even the spirit of truth 
And church, when you've taken that for granted, you've hurt your relationship because your relationship with Him should be paramount on your list of things to do. And it can be a revival if you focus your attention on Him. Let me give you a few things on how to do that. First is talk to Him. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Just pray. I know people that say, I can't pray. I can't pray. Oh, you can pray. You'll talk to me. Talk to him. Secondly, pick up the Bible. And even if it's only a chapter, if that's all the time you can give in that moment, pick it up and meditate upon that word. And then close your eyes and head out into your walk and into your routine, knowing that the one that promised to never leave you nor forsake you will be with you. Church, God bless you. Thank you for being here today.